Hi, my name is Stephanie, and I fucked up this recording. Hey, my name is Cody, and I fucked just about everybody. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> On this episode, we have the amazing, talented, smart, and educated Katie Grimes. Wow, I'm fucking that up. Should we? No, let's keep it. Okay. This is who. This is what the people want. They oh. want the real deal. And guess who's the real deal? Katie's the real deal, man. We get into it. We talk about. We talk. We have a great talk to her about um, sex addiction, sexual health, and relationships and love. We talk about you. We talk about me. We talk stuck. about Cincinnati. We talk about Melissa's wedding. We talk about. I met TJ Down Bloke. We do some movie pitches. This is actually a real cool episode. I, I really like it. I wish it sounded better. <laughs> okay. I do. It's a real cool episode. Just imagine it's a Halloween themed and we wanted to sound like goblins. So yeah. it's actually special effects. We worked really hard on it. Yeah, we did. And so we'd really appreciate your guys' support of just listening because it's actually, like, honestly, if the if the audio does annoy you too bad, suck it up. Are because you it's landing a really the plane great... on okay. this intro? Landing the plane. No, my plane is delayed. I have to wait till tomorrow morning. <laughs> Okay. Here we perk it up. And you're Are listening. You excited? And you're listening to Topa Talk. And you're listening to Topa Talk for God's sakes, your favorite podcast. <laughs> the longest intro ever. <laughs> talk to you. How does that sound go? Oh you no. Fuck heavy with it. We did. <laughs> With that 70s show. I do. You love it. Hello, Wisconsin! Hanging out down, down the street. The same old thing. I used to meet. You missed your fucking flight. Dude, okay, wait a second. Can you we missed your flight, say hello dude. to each other? Hey, Steph. How are you? I don't want to say hi to you. I've literally been with you for the past four hours. <laughs> we did. Had a hell of a morning. We interviewed Katie Grimes, who I adore and is... hot in this episode later. Yes, and she's a sex and love addict expert coach. Um, she's experienced sex addiction herself, and we just go on to talk, and we have a lot of questions. Um... Focusing around Cody's love life. I know. I felt, well, here's what. You actually, you asked her incredible questions. You're very much a good interviewer. And that discussion we'll have later with her. I seized the moment and was like, hey, I'm going through some shit. And this is someone who's specialized in the field of which of sex. And I need to talk to someone. So I took it as a free session with her. And I just kind of went for it. I don't care if you guys were listening or not. I, I put it all out there. I would definitely say listen up, listeners, because it's I put it all out there. I didn't give a fuck. She kept saying, you know, she was saying things like, like, well, I know this is on the podcast and people are going to hear it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I love it. Okay. I love it. You guys are along the ride with me. I, I consider you guys all an extension of me. I don't care what you guys know about me. I want you to know it all. Yeah. I love it. And so we do that later. Today, we were interviewed by Ojai Quarterly's podcast, and we'll be... Talk of the Town is what it's called. Yeah, and we'll be featured in their magazine, which is really exciting, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> like, we have no idea when, where, who, what, and why. Not I guess, but like we are really excited about I'm it. I'm thrilled. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And so, it was a great conversation, so we'll definitely post when that is posted by them. We sat with Brett Brad again, who interviewed us, who... You know, he's he's a pro. He did his research and he he's great. He also has one of those names that's like Brett Bradigan, you know? He was he was <laughs> he was admittedly a little nervous and I thought that was fun. It was it was. Because we were we're always a little nervous. We are always a little I always have like a nervous sweat when And we're kind of a jarring presence, you and I, when we come <laughs> into a place. We we bust in that we don't knock. We but well we knock and then we just open and we go, Hey, what's up? I'm like, Where's the pisser around here? No, that's not but I said but like we're just a jarring 
I had to go pee immediately. Yes, and then on our walk home, we saw people exercising their right to protest in our cute little town of Ohio. We got some protests going on, which is actually a note a note in mind that I wanted to talk about. That was a dumb protest. Well, everyone gets to disagree with each other. That's the beauty. I, I was guess. actually. Do you want to know what I was impressed by? What? I was impressed that I didn't see any spelling errors on their poster boards because mm-hmm. that's such an ignorant group of people. Okay, so. Um, Good for them. California, the people who are very against the max mandate and the vaccine mandate for children and for everyone um, are organizing a walkout on October 18th in California. So I'm interested in seeing how many people participate and how impactful that is. And I mean, you know, I just protested. I'm someone who actively protests and believes in it. And I mean... (laughs) You know, it's people exercising their right, and it's happening here. You believe here. in protesting, mind your words. It sounds like you believe in what they were protesting. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not showing up to that protest with yeah. a sign. We walked by, and I just, I didn't even want to walk by. Yeah, but I thought it was important that we see it, and it's important that we know it's happening, and I don't know. It's in our town, and this is a podcast about our town. Yeah, you're right. So anyways, that's happening. That, yes, that's happening. I went to Melissa and Andrew's wedding in Cincinnati. Whoa. I feel like that's what, what this, this whole podcast is going to be about. What a couple. Gorgeous. She looked absolutely beautiful. He looked handsome, of course. The venue looked like Hogwarts. It was so pretty. It was so pretty. It was easily the most beautiful wedding I've ever been to. Easily until you had to get home. It was the least easy <laughs> trip, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, Cincinnati's out there. It's far. And... We, Remind me why they got married in Cincinnati again? All of his family's from Cincinnati. Okay. Uh-huh. So and her family's kind of sprinkled about the United States. So her family would have to travel mm-hmm. regardless. And I think Cincinnati they had a lot more connections to like venues and all of that. Andrew has like a lot of family and friends out I mean, there. Yeah, it was beautiful. It was. It I was, would want to get married there. It was gorgeous when we got married. Pretty pretty unreal. Um we did like a little bachelorette party for Melissa Friday night at a gay bar. Oh, fun. Yeah, it was really fun. It was called E19. And I made friends with all the bartenders and the performer because I showed up um, embarrassingly early. That's like my style. Yeah. It was at 830. So I showed up at 820. Like I'm going to, I brought like little like bachelorette gifts, like a, a, a veil for her to wear and like a sash and sunglasses and like fun. a fake penis, like gun that like shot out water. Fun. And not a not a real gun made out of real penises. No, unfortunately, mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyways, and so that was what super was it fun. Called? It was called E nineteen. E nineteen. And it was so fun. And then the next day we were talking about the bar and stuff, and I mentioned, or one of her sisters mentioned, like, oh yeah, it was at the gay bar. And Melissa was like, that was a gay bar, and I was like, obviously it well, it's was. Well, hard to tell these days because so many hetero women go to them. And then she made, and then Melissa made like the most perfect point though. She was like, well, it all makes sense because I was really comfortable. I felt safe the whole time. And like, everyone was really nice and respectful. And I was like, yeah, yeah. 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 So there you go. Ed Sheeran wasn't being played or Maroon 5. So you know it's a gay bar. You don't think that the gay is like Ed Sheeran? Oh. Did you hear any of his music? Yeah. I'm really into, um. Not the gay bar? No. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, but their fr- her friends, her two best friends who were in her wedding with her are so funny. They requested the DJ play a song from the musical Rent. Mm-hmm, something. Exactly. And they were just wondering when Hello. the DJ was going to play it. And I was like, you guys, I don't know how the DJ is going to fuse that in. 
to the playlist that's happening out. No, we got into the limo. We got into the limo and the girls put it on and they sang every single word passionately. I have multiple videos, multiple videos of them singing this music I've never heard a day in my life. Theater kids. Theater kids. Gotta love them. Full on. Gotta love them. Congratulations, Melissa and Andrew. But stuff. I want to get into what happened on your way home. Oh, yeah. Homeward bound. This whole talk I want to be about Cincinnati. On our way home, American Airlines, we got to fly out of Santa Barbara, which I feel like is very luxurious and lucky and amazing. On the way home, we had a connecting flight that had 30 minutes in between them, which is like a dangerous place to be. But I didn't think twice. I don't travel enough to. I was like. Why would an airline sell us a ticket if they didn't think we'd get on the plane? They'll wait for us. They'll wait for us. Wait for us. Were we, you like Kevin McAllister? You were just left home alone. Yeah, pretty much. So we're in the on the flight. You have like mm-hmm. Wi-Fi, and we checked how the flight was doing. All of a sudden, it said the flight was delayed, and I was like, "That's weird. We left on time. We lost like 15 minutes in the air." Shit, which which can happen. Um, and did you on the Bermuda Triangle? Something like that. And so we land and this is like this scene at this airport in Phoenix is insane. Me, Asa and Meryl are sprinting, sprinting to the next gate. And it's kind of around the corner. And all of a sudden I'm an anti-masker and I'm like, I can't breathe because I'm running so hard and I'm like out of breath. And I'm like, this mask is killing me, literally killing me. So for one moment in time, I was like, is this how people feel all the time? Is this the upset? Is this why we're upset? It's a bad joke, but um, <laughs> I was just sprinting, like, get this mask. I wish anything more that I was not wearing this mask. You were like, you were like, this is. The- I was like, I get it. Yeah. I get it. Well, you know, when you when you were in a grocery <laughs> store, it's that similar situation where you're stressed, you're running, you're panicked, yeah. you could be losing. I could see why average everyday people yes, would feel exactly. that stressed. About and I get to the gate, and the girls like the woman's closing the door, and I was like, wait, and she's like, plane's gone. No, no. Plane's you're like, gone. no, it's not. And I'm like, oh, it's right there, but that's cool. I didn't argue because they have policies, and she's not the one making them, and I'm not, plane's I'm gone. not into that. So, so what did you do? So. We were just like, okay, well, we were kind of running scenarios because we had an idea that we were not going to be making this flight long before we landed. And Asa's mom lives like 45 minutes outside of Phoenix. So she's the first person I call. And like any mother, she answers the phone as if I'm going to tell her that someone's dying. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, I just, I just called her like normal. She answered like this. She was like, she was like, Hello. Hello, and I was like, "Hey, Robbie, we're Stephanie." <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah, exactly. What? I think that just is, tell me. I think it's a testament to how often we call our parents. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. Either someone died, or we just have a little too much free time. Yeah. If I call my dad, he's like, "What happened to your car?" So, is the check engine light still on? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and so she, we were like, we're not gonna book another flight. We don't have money. This The Cincinnati trip was amazing, but we spent every dime we've ever had in our entire lives. It's expensive to travel. It's so expensive to travel. Oh, yeah, miles on a credit card. No, and so, and I don't like credit cards in general, so I'm like, I'm not putting it on my credit card. So we were just like, she gave us a standby ticket for the next morning. I'm like, that's good enough for us. <laughs> like, sure. We're not going to buy another flight on another no. airline. Hell no. And so Meryl, who is Alex's sister, and Alex my roommate, the real ones know, um, she decided to get a Southwest flight. And Southwest canceled at least 2,000 flights from the weekend to Wednesday because of weather issues and, like, a conspiracy. I'm not going to give any time. What? I'm not going to give any time to it because I don't know that I believe in it. But anyway. Like a walkout. Like a walkout, yeah. yeah. Uh And so 
Meryl was like, oh, I have a flight to LAX. My dad's going to pick me up. I'll see y'all when I see y'all. I was like, okay. So we're finally home at Ace's mom's house. We're hanging out and Meryl calls me and is like, they just canceled my flight on Southwest. And so she had to get a hotel, but the next... Did you guys crash there? No. Where? In Meryl's hotel? No, we were already like at Ace's mom's house. And the next morning we go to get on our standby flight and I'm having like a lot of anxiety at this point. And I'm like, why are we even messing around with the standby? We could fly into LAX and have a guaranteed ride home. Because that's what Meryl's doing. Meryl's like going to fly into LAX. And Asa was like, it's the best case scenario is that we get on this standby and then we're at our car in Santa Barbara because our car's parked in Santa oh, Barbara. Yeah, so he was, he was just like, that. yeah, he was a little stubborn about it. And then I was like, okay, well, we need to have a backup plan because the, the our original backup plan was to come home at 3.30. And I was like, that's not working for me. Yeah. So we made a plan, whatever. This woman at American Airlines, Amber, who I'm obsessed with, she's my airport angel. She like got us on this standby flight and like we got home, which was great. I thought you were going to say, like, a polka band put you in the back of their truck and you drove all the way. Hey, it's only, it's a seven hour drive, so. I'm ready for Christmas. I'm done with Halloween. (laughs) You want to fill in the gap. You just want Christmas. I'm always thinking five steps ahead. Yeah, I'm ready for Christmas. Halloween, I'm bored with it. No, you're not. I'm ready to watch Home Alone. Well, you celebrate Halloween all year round, so it's like, now that people are into it, are you like, you guys are just bandwagoners? That's what I'm like. That's we said that in the last episode that I go too hard with spooky stuff year round, so that when it it finally comes, I just feel like, oh yeah, this is all happening. You know what I mean? Christmas. Who fucks with Christmas year round? That's not a thing that people do. You know, but some people, like gay people, gothic people, and Cassandra Peterson, I'll buy real (laughs) fuck with Halloween year round. That's true. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad you got home safely. You ended up flying into Santa Barbara, right? Yes. Okay. You met someone very important to me. Yeah. You met, you met DJ Tombo. I met Tony. And when we saw each other, we had this moment of like, (gasps) wait, wait, wait. Were you guys like, you're, uh, uh, (laughs) are you? Yeah. 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 And and it was really cool. And he was doing the thing for recreate at Suspi and I walked into Suspi not there to buy edibles, but I had to support, you know. Obviously. And, and so I got a what I I got a BOGO. They had a BOGO. So I, I got a buy a buy one, get one, and I got you a pack of the pride gummies. I got me mm. a pack of the pride gummies. So those are at my house on top of my fridge waiting for you, baby. Amazing. And it was so good to meet you, Tony. What a cool guy. Yes, and he's working for Recreate Cannabis. He just gave us a ton of drinks. I had one last night. I want it's some. Amazing. I want some. I can't get Lydia because Kaylee is on um Labor Watch 2021. Labor Watch 2021. She's in the red zone. Yes, that's happening. Contractions. Yes, that's happening. And so she's not in labor yet. She's in like pre-labor. But I am Nanny 911. Whether I'm at work, whether I'm at asleep, whether it's while we're recording this podcast, if she gives me that call, I got to skedaddle and go watch her other four kids. You're not nervous at all. I can't sleep. <laughs> Kaylee texted me last night. She was like, I, Stephanie, let me tell you something. I have been sleeping like shit because I just check my phone every half hour. I wake up and check my phone because I have these nightmares that the kids are going to get kidnapped because she has to rush to the hospital and I've slept through my alarm or something like that. I am at work checking my phone every two seconds thinking she's in labor. I'm also just excited for my new niece. And she, Kaylee texted me last night and she's like, you're not like anxious, are you? Because I was like telling her I was like exhausted. And she's like, you're not anxious, are you? I'm like, no. No, 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 no,
No, I'm fucking, I'm a wreck. Okay. I just want her to have this baby and I want the baby to be healthy and I want my sister to be healthy and I want Kaylee's other kids to feel excited and loved and, and not brushed aside. And it's a lot. Well, don't you just want to live in a utopia? I do. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? I can't wait to meet this little bitch. I was going to say, are you like a baby? Are you into babies or do you like kids? <laughs> I, well, I, That's, yeah. I, <laughs> I like the idea of babies. I like the idea of healthy babies. Um, but I, you know, the anxiety of holding them. But then once I'm holding them, I don't know why you want to hold them for too long. I give me, give me your baby for five seconds to hold. I'll get a picture. Then back it goes because I'm like, what else am I going to do? I like the kids when they're toddlers. I get crack jokes with them. They get excited to see me. I don't know. I, you know what? I love our baby's hands and feet. Oh. I love as there's no greater feeling in the world than when a baby holds onto your finger really tight with yes. their little, their little hands. I want to hold the baby for like five minutes. I want to see they're cute. I'm seeing it. Yeah. Like maybe they give me a smile. That's ideal. Yeah. But then I'm, I'm good. I don't know if we have any pregnant listeners, but Kaylee's been having anxiety with labor. She's nervous to go into labor. It's the most insane thing the bot, the human body is capable of doing. And just cause it's her fifth kid doesn't mean it's a walk, a cakewalk for her. Like she's still super nervous and stuff. And she's been doing this like visualization technique where she imagines her favorite place, which is the beach. And then she imagines her baby running towards her and her showing her around the beach and how, so like trying to think of like not the labor part because Kaylee's super nervous about that. Well, I yeah. couldn't even imagine. The labor part's not the fun part. Right? Not a lot of it's the fun part. It sounds like there's diapers involved. There's crying. Involved. I remember when Shepard, her youngest was a baby and we would be driving and he would just, he was like, the car was not his friend. A lot of people will go on drives just to get their kid to go to sleep. Not for Shepard. Shepard did not do well in the car. He just scream cried in the car unless there was a specific song and we'd have to play this song 20 <laughs> times until he would fall asleep. And it was most, it was like, do you that, hate that song now? Yes. And it's that one with like Christina Aguilera and it's like, and I will stumble and fall. Like that oh, really sad song. Yes. And like, I'd be like, we'd always just be like emotional and sad because we just listened to the song 20 times in a row. But finally the kids stopped screaming. Right. I hope How that, fun. I hope that Kaylee's an, daughter that's about to pop out is very cool you're giving me good birth control yeah that story was great birth control for me yeah um i have a new wait all i want to do is talk about cincinnati it's like all my notes go for it girl so sports you know how much we talk about sports lately it feels like it the sports out there is a big deal in Cincinnati. California doesn't even understand what sports are. It's not whether or not you like sports. Like, it's, it's, like? it's not an option. Like, it's who do you like? Every single person in Cincinnati is a sports fan. And they go all out. They close the restaurants if there's a home game. On Sunday, we were trying to go out and get a bite to eat before the wedding. And I would say 70% of the restaurants we looked at were closed. You're kidding. No, because there was a home game. And I think it's so sweet. Like, I love a service industry moment where you work somewhere and you get to have a day off to enjoy your team. Like, that's so yeah, cute to me. Like, I, can't I really imagine that happening in California. No, it wouldn't. Everything. Like, the dollar, baby. It's all about the dollar. All and the so we were there on a weekend where there was a college football game Friday night. Okay. A, a soccer game Saturday night. Okay. And then a football game Sunday night, an NFL football game Sunday night. So we just who's the team in Cincinnati? Bengals. 
the Bengals. The Bengals or, or like the bracelets. No, like, or like the band. <laughs> Wait, I like the idea that it's the bracelets. Yeah, that's hilarious. Well, but Wonder Woman wore them, and they sure the, did her a world of difference. I guess she has to wear them right, or else her powers don't work, or something. Yeah, and they like no, they ching, just ching, they ching, just ching, basically bullets. like bull, they block bullets. <laughs> yeah, so it's the Bengals. Wow. Yeah. Bangles. I like to think it's the band, the Bengals. And okay, so Melissa's. I'm just talking about Melissa all all day. Melissa's family's from Wisconsin, so they're huge Packers fans. Go Pack Go. What? And was that English? Mm-hmm. They're huge Packers fans. Go Pack Go. <laughs> That's how you say it. Go oh, Pack Go. Oh, because they're from Wisconsin? Yeah, Cheeseheads. And so... Go Packs. Go Pack. And so, obviously, Andrew's family's all from Cincinnati, so they're huge Bengals fans. So the wedding split, and on their wedding day, they're playing this game. And it goes into overtime, and the wedding starts at... 4.30, the game goes into overtime at, like, 4.15. Did they delay the wedding for the game? They didn't have to because the game ended up ending. But, so, yeah, there was all these mistakes happening, and Melissa was like, I, when I arrive to the venue, I am walk in, and all I hear is Melissa screaming, What the fuck? No, she's not hot-headed like that. Oh, she I don't is. You. I don't she's you. screaming at the TV. What? So, I run up to the bridal suite, something I'm not allowed to do. And I'm, like, laughing my ass off, and I, like, give her a hug, and I'm, like, you're amazing. I love you so much oh for being God. such a freak. And they and, and then I, like, run down, and I'm, like, using the bathroom, and I hear, like, her screaming again, but I can tell it's, like, a happy scream. And I'm, yeah. like, oh, the Packers just won. And so, like, the Packers win. We get seated, and she comes out to, like, get married. And like, it was why just... why <laughs> is she glowing? Is that her wedding day? She's, like, my team won, So during her welcome speech in the venue, she ends it by saying, go, Pack, go. And I was just, go, like... Pack, go. What's a welcome speech? <laughs> a welcome speech is like everyone's seated. The father of the groom has done their speech. The father of bride has done their speech. And then Andrew and Melissa did a little like, thank you, welcome. Like, we're so glad you're here and sharing in this moment with us. And That's then nice. Melissa's like drops the mic to go back. Oh, go. <laughs> I would be awful at a welcome speech. Well, a lot it's of. It's not organic. We need to just like start it. I just, like, <laughs> I'll just like start talking. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yes. Like they will later hear in the episode today when we plug in the Katie episode because can't you help can't that. help yourself. I can't do it. I can't do it. Should we like... segue the episode? Should we segue the interview in? Well, before we get into the interview, I just have to say that again, thank you, Katie. I have been knowing for a while that I have issues with um with my sexual behavior that I want to work on. I mean, I'm sorry, is it a secret? It's funny when you say it like that. I have issues with my sexual behavior. Like, as we're, like, we all can joke, like, oh, Cody got a BJ in an alleyway. Like, we could all joke about things like that. Is that normal behavior? Getting a blowjob by a stranger in an alleyway and I don't know his name? Well, I think this is, like, what we kind of start talking about is, like, you're clearly bringing tons of shame to it already by, like, trying to put it under a microscope. I am ashamed. Of what is normal and what isn't. I want to do it again. Exactly. So that's my cycle. And, like, the hookup culture that I think you have found yourself in in the gay community, like, there's a lot of influences that are, like... Yeah, happening here. But you and I have also talked about your insecurities to like opening up to somebody in a romantic way. Like you're very open and vulnerable with people every right. day. But the second it becomes under a lens of romance, like you definitely hide. Yeah, you are. You feel like maybe if they figure out who you actually are, they won't love you or something. Abort, abort, abort. Yeah, and so we talk about this with Katie. Katie is a recovering sex addict, a recovering love Speaking addict. Speaking of being open and vulnerable. Yes, Katie is extremely intelligent. She has an like a just like a huge breadth of experience. She's a love and addiction coach. She yeah. has a podcast, Anything for Love, that I edit. 
<laughs> and um, I don't know. She's just all around like a great person. Amazing. Yeah. Someone who will be moving to California soon, which we are so lucky to have her. This is the intro she deserves. We didn't. We gave her a true talk <laughs> intro in actual interview. Let's get into. It. I I want to touch on things after yes. we all get to listen to this that that are more appropriate for after this conversation. But let's get into it. Here's Katie. So you're on the East Coast? I am. I'm in Fort Smith, New Hampshire. Oh my gosh. Just like an hour north of Boston. And then I'm going to be traveling to California starting in December. And my goal is to be out there for six months or longer. Are you going to come to our neck of the woods? Yeah, I'm going to Yeah. Yeah, you should come. Totally meet up. I have a guest room house. That'd be amazing. I have a guest house. I have a guest room. So you could definitely come stay if you want. I would love that. Yeah, I was kind of thinking that I might do like a month up in like Simpla Santa Barbara area. So yeah, oh, that'd be awesome. How long have you been doing your love relationship and sex? Or how would you describe your title? Okay, I'm sorry. This isn't how we're going to start probably. <sighs> you know me. So I just want to talk about it. On the podcast, we're going to plug in this mm-hmm. interview, right? Yeah. And we're going to be like, I'm going to do the whole like introducing Katie thing without mm-hmm. Katie. On. So I don't need to ask these questions. No, I mean... You can. I'm just trying to decide, like, what's the best way to naturally get into it, if that makes sense. So we just said, and now here's Katie Grimes. So now we have to be like, hey, girl. You know what I mean? Production-wise. I know. You, like, I know. We're so opposite with that. But he wanted to start with the Charles Manson, and this is our wife. We're a Charles Manson and and wife, and you need to give her. Hey, that's a good question, especially because it's spooky season. What advice would you give the Charles Manson women if you were giving them kind of, um, if they came to you for advice about their relationship with Charles Manson? I would tell them, bitch, run, don't walk. (laughs) What if they were like, he dicks me down better than anyone I've ever met? I'd be like, then you need to get a vibrator. <laughs> there you go. Good advice. So good you're advice. saying good sex isn't a reason to stay in a weird relationship. I would agree, though. Most people would disagree with me. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've stayed in relationships because the sex was good and the guy was awful. We've all been Same. there. Same. Same. I wanted to talk to you because I feel like I have sexual issues. I have relationship issues. And I feel like all I right, actually need you. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I even know. I'm ready for it. I even know where to start. I've, I, I harbor a lot of um, shame in my sexual history that I um, think that I cover up or with humor, like I laugh about it, but there's actually a lot of shame with like my number and like, you know, you know, experiences and the amount of experiences. Can I tell you how refreshing that sounds? Meaning that I think so many people feel that way, yeah. but they don't talk about it. And I've heard it like amongst my female friends and female clients. And now as I've been coaching more men, you know, for you to be that vulnerable and share that that's what, what's coming up. It's really important that we talk about this shit because I think we made choices as young adults trying to figure out what would be the best thing that would make us the happiest. Right. Yeah. And let's just go ahead and like call a spade a spade, which is that you're gay. So when yeah. you layer on that, that what can feel like confusion as a young kid, 
when so much of what you're seeing and what's being portrayed in TV and in films and in your family is all this heteronormative discussion, it can, it can feel like, I think, and I, and by the way, I think what's beautiful about all human race is that we're bonded by two things. We all want self-acceptance and we all want acceptance from others. But I think each one of us goes about it a different way to try to figure out how is it that we can receive those two things, self-acceptance and acceptance from others. And for me, it was also sleeping with people and feeling shame around sleeping with people. And for me, what happened was that after I would sleep with someone, there'd almost, and I didn't know them say very well, or even if I was like kind of sort of getting into a relationship, I'd feel like pretty empty afterwards. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's what you're resonating with. I, I call it like almost like a dark hole. I'd just be like, now what do I do? Yeah. So then I'd like drink or I'd eat or I would excessively work out or I'd shop a lot or I'd book a trip. Or I would just go do it again with either them or someone else. Is that any of that ringing to you? All of the above. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. A lot of people will add work to that or gambling or drugs or like, I right. mean, because what ends up happening is we feel really shame. Shame, I have since learned from my friend Liana, is she said, what if instead of saying that we feel shame, it's just that we feel disappointment? And I was oh. like, that's huge. <laughs> Right? I was As like, Oprah what? Winfrey would say, it's an aha moment. It's an aha. It's a tweetable moment, right? Wow. Like, I found for me that I'm practicing how to, how to not overthink once I sleep with someone. So, because my body naturally wants to go in my mind, want to naturally go to that place when I sleep with someone, shame starts because that's yeah. what I've trained it. <clears throat> and it's not because I trained it because I didn't know any better then. Yeah. And so what I find is that my mind goes to shame of like, oh shit, should I have done that? Like I did do that, but the chemistry was so strong and the connection was so great. So I thought we were compatible. It just felt good. I thought this time was going to be different because we, I think, you know, what about you? Like I sleep with people because I think that there's a strong chemistry and a connection and that it might mean that it will turn into something. (sighs) Not necessarily for me. I mean, I just, I mean, I've definitely been there. Actually, my most, re- ah, I don't know. I, I have a very complicated relationship with sex. And um, I think that there's kind of a like really toxic culture in the gay community when it comes to sex in particular with all these accessible dating apps where it's designed for sex and it's so easy. And I always say Grinder, the app is like picking through a catalog for who you want to have sex with that night. And it's so just, it's like, so, I don't know, as, as shallow. It's so shallow. <laughs> and I've, over the course of years, gotten to the habit where sex has become a shallow thing for me. It's not the like bonding experience that I think most people seek from it or get from it. To me, it's become something very shallow and I miss it being a deeper connection. And when a deeper connection is possible or could be on the horizon for sex, I notice myself look for reasons why it couldn't be. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I have a very complicated relationship with sex. By the way, this is not the first time I'm hearing this specifically from a gay man. Yeah. I think it's a it's an epidemic, I think. I I would completely agree with you with that language is because I think people who are highly successful and self-aware like yourself who just so happen to be gay, right? Is like that you really want 
um, for sex to be a deeper meaning and a deeper connection. But when it's so easily accessible and it is the cultural norm right now, I don't know, is there, my instinct goes to, is like there a fear of missing out? Like I'm not going to get what I want. What do you feel like? Yeah. What is it for you? What, and what, what do you mean by that? Like what, what am I trying to get out of sex? Yeah. I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get my nut. I mean, I, uh, for lack of a better term, like I can't think of a better way to put it. Like it, that's what is so annoying to me is that that's so shallow and I don't mistreat people. I'm not selfish in that way where I mistreat people to get to have sex. Everybody I have sex with is very aware. They're usually after the same thing. It's a very, it's a very, um, you know, it, I don't know how to describe what I'm saying. And I don't know what I want out of sex. I'm trying to trying to bust a nut and I wish that I could find a deeper connection. And like the most recent um like fuck buddy that I've had, we both like established a boundary that we were not looking for a relationship or to date. Like this was a very convenient situation we had. And it was really, really great. And it was incredible. And then I don't know, it's something happened in in their life where they had to stop sleeping with me they they went away for a bit and they're going through some shit and now i'm like left in this place of like oh i kind of like enjoyed being around him beyond having sex like i like hanging out with him afterwards and stuff and i kind of like i feel like there's a void there and so i don't know i'm trying to say i feel like i i beat my i feel like i don't know i feel like your insecurities won't like allow you to just accept the fact that you enjoyed his company like you kind of beat yourself up about growing an attachment to him because you're not worthy of his like love or attention or something right I always think everybody's out of my league no matter who I'm with I'm like what are they doing with me I always think I'm conning people it's almost like a sexual version of um imposter syndrome where I will be like the fifth time we're having sex in the back of my head I'm like when is when is he gonna snap out of it and realize who I am and who he's having sex with you were no yeah. i'm telling the truth you're telling the truth by the way you're you're telling my story as well so i just want to wow. like reassure you like as you're talking about this like this is hitting home so um i want to be mindful that we're coaching on the podcast and not like we're talking on the podcast and not coaching in real life but mm-hmm. i'll but so you tell me how comfortable you are going through this but like here's what i specialize in based on my own experience So I specialize in something called sex and love addiction, which is a compulsive need to have sex and or be loved. And that means flirting, sexting, um, porn, uh, masturbation. It can mean um, it can mean like, yeah, just connection, right? Like seeking that validation from somebody so that we will feel good enough. Because for me, underneath it is I was searching for all those things in the hopes that somebody would love me enough. So that we could go and build this beautiful life and we could travel and we could support each other and we could have amazing sex and we could have all these things. But underneath that layer was this really deep rooted fear that if you truly got to know me, you wouldn't love me and you would leave me. So one level deeper than that yeah. was because as a kid growing up, I felt abandoned. One level deeper under that is because my mom suffered from alcoholism. My dad, my parents were divorced. My grandparents raised me. So I always had people in and out of my life and there was really big inconsistencies. Now, does this happen when parent kids grow up with parents who are 
quote unquote, happily married? Yes. Because in my perspective, our parents, so we're all in our like 20s, 30s, right? Okay. So what happens is that our parents grew up with parents who were in the Great Depression. So that's a, think about COVID on steroids. Yeah. Think about COVID with no toilet paper, (laughs) like like no food, no nothing. So when you have that level of scarcity and then they go and have kids, what happens is our parents, God love them, were fucking dysfunctional. They did their best to try to work and raise the kids, but it was this weird generational time of growing up in the fifties and sixties and seventies. We women couldn't even fucking vote then. Like people, people, nobody talked about being gay. Like there were all these stigmas that were happening and we were silenced. And let's, I mean, we could go into a whole podcast just on like all that shit that was happening around equality and things like that. But when you have that much dysfunction happening, which in my family was children should be seen and not heard. So you're bugging me, go outside and play and run around the house a few times. Oh, you're being too loud. Be quiet. You know, it's like these kind of, oh, I thought that my behavior dictated how much my parents loved me. Yeah. Right. And so when I was growing up, I was super confused whether I should smile and make everybody laugh and be the jokester, which is the role that I play, or should I be quiet and shut up and stop talking? Yeah. Right. And so oftentimes I would switch between these two and toggle. And sometimes I'd be the jokester and laugh and everybody would love it. And other times they'd hate it. And then other times, so I would retreat and not use my voice and be quiet and stop talking about my feelings. And when that happened, I also was either loved or I was not. And so it created, I became codependent on other people's behaviors. So the way they treated Uh, me made me feel good enough. Is Is this hitting home? It it definitely hits home. You and I, a lot of what you're saying, I definitely relate to. Absolutely, I think that we have a lot in common. My my childhood was I actually had a really beautiful childhood. Um, I'm really grateful for how my parents raised us, but we did have turmoil in our family that were out of my parents' um, control, and so there was a lot of inconsistencies growing up, and a lot of turmoil, and a lot of um, uncertainty, and a lot of, you know, my parents did the best they could with the situation that our family was given. And I don't blame them for, for having to put their focus on, on something sometimes rather than, than us kids. I don't know. It just, I don't, I don't fault my parents for that at all, but I do, I could see why the inconsistencies and turmoil could have led me to to, right. to this looking and I was the jokester too I was always the one that was trying to make everybody feel oh, better right. and laugh by you know and and lighten the mood and and I don't and I still am to this day you know yeah it's, it's become our default personality and and by the way kids take on two roles right they either take the jokester role on or I don't have a voice um yeah. and that that's not I'm not trying to pathologize it but just try to simplify it because sometimes you can blend between the two but to your point it's it's not that we blame or shame our parents, right, for, for making the choices that they did. From my perspective, I was angry for a long time, but I didn't understand who I was angry at or what I was angry for. Yeah. I just knew that I felt different and I felt crazy and I thought something was wrong with me. And so what I would try to do at that point is look to, well, so many parents. So, so much can happen. I love how you called it turmoil. Some people call it trauma. Some people call it dysfunction. 
all that it is, is that there is a life circumstance that happens that, uh, that our parents who cared for us or whoever cared for us, it became volatile, right? Like there was grief, there was sadness, there was frustration. Yeah. Maybe they had to work too much. Maybe there was a car accident. Like there's something that happened that created this huge spike. And as children, we probably weren't given the best tools to deal with it because our parents were, didn't have the tools because it was never talked about as yeah. openly as it is now spirituality, meditation, journaling, coaching, therapy, you name it. My, I remember my parents growing up, they were like, yeah, you never talked about what happened in our family. You just don't. You don't. You, yeah. you take it to the grave with you. You put on your Sunday best. You smile and you shut the fuck up. It was because a different time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> time. And, and here's the thing. They, I can say this now, 11 years later into recovery and learning the lessons that I've learned, that I have a little bit more love, acceptance, and compassion for them. But I'll be honest, there was then this phase of, okay, so I can't get it at home. So let me go get it from friends. But deep down, I feel different and I feel like I'm not accepted. So what do kids do? They bully and they shame and they make fun of. And then that is confusing. So what do we do? We keep looking. Now it just repeats what we learned as a family. Now we go and get that from friends. So now we go do that from love, like from people were attracted to. And so sometimes we can play the role of, I'm going to, you're going to save me and not, you know, I'm going to give you my all and I'll just go form this life over here with you. Sometimes we do that. I'm not, I'm going to avoid completely and just not date anybody and not have anybody get close to me ever. And then we also do someplace in between where we like yeah. to pop into both sections just to see how it feels when really we're not giving anyone a chance to really get to know us. And then what happens is that's when we form the, what I call the, the I'm going to use it, the word addiction, which I know is such a harsh word. So as you all are hearing it, like, just think of it as a compulsive need to do something to make yourself feel better. It's just that we just do it again and again and again, is that that's when we form addictions because we're, where we think, oh shit, I've acted this way. I didn't get the result I want. I must do something different or better. I don't know what to do. <laughs> I don't have anybody to tell me what to do differently and better. And then we start to form attachments to sex, yeah. drugs, alcohol. So that's why you hear a lot of people say like, oh man, it's such a tough day. Like, let me go grab a beer. Oh my God, we have to celebrate this. Like, let me go grab a beer. Well, I was doing the same shit, but I was doing around sex. Same. Because for me, sex was a means to... I described earlier of like, yes, I wanted the release because you get a serious dopamine hit. Mm -hmm. But what I didn't understand is that um, women's brains attach, or at least this is what some of the sciences that I've read, that when a woman has sex, she, and she orgasms with that person, she attaches to them for like two weeks. Just the wow. brain just naturally wants to do that. Whereas men, it's usually like 24 to 48 hours. It's not that long. Again, yeah. I don't have a huge science behind this, but I've heard that and it's been true for me. But also yeah. I think I attach because I really want to be in a loving, committed relationship and I want to be seen. I want to have a healthy love, but kind of like how you've ever seen people say, I want to have kids so I can give them the life I didn't have. I think many of us do that when it comes to relationships because we didn't get the kind of love that we wanted as kids. Interesting what's the path forward in the situation of like the shame, guilt, insecurity cycle? 
Mm, like, it, you question. know, we just talked about all of this and like these, these forming habits throughout the years based on our like life experiences. So like, what is the next step for someone like, let's just use Cody as an example who would maybe it's like, I feels like a lot of work. It feels oh, like yeah. a lot of self-work and like a lot of discipline and all life. Yeah. So it's a great question. I love that Cody just took a big breath because yeah. it is, it, it, when I, it's a great question, Steph. So it is a lot of hard work. It is probably the most rewarding thing I've ever done, but I will, I would be fucking lying to you if I said that there weren't days where I was on my hands and knees and it wasn't because I was given a BJ, it was <laughs> I was you know, like I was crying. I was like, what is the purpose of this? What I now know is the purpose of this is that I have a beautiful career where I, I help people internationally go through, go through this. So there's a couple different ways you can do it. Um, you can, and, and all of them have one thing in common, other people. Because I think often what happens is we are highly independent and have learned to be highly independent because we felt like we had to have our needs met in any way, shape, or form. So we become highly successful. We become highly independent. And sometimes we even feel bad because we're so impatient that we're like, I know what I want. I want to go get it, but I'm not going to burden anybody by talking about what I, what I need. Right. So if you ever have a bad day and you feel like you're being a burden to someone, that is old shit. That is just because your needs weren't met as a kid from my perspective. Oh my God. So (laughs) there's three ways that I have found to be really helpful And you don't have to start with all three. You can choose one that feels the best. And then what I have particularly done is over the years, I have added in these other resources. So number one, number one would be going to a 12-step recovery program that is called uh, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, S-L-A-A, or in California, you guys call it SLA, S-L-A-A. There's a huge stigma around 12-step recovery. So let me just like break those barriers really quickly. What it is, it's a group of people who are all dealing with the same shit that we all just described, but they all have either had different experiences, but their feelings are exactly the same. So you might have somebody who's addicted to porn and they're not talking to anybody and not dating and having sex. And then you have you and I, Cody, over here, right? Or somewhere in between. And what's beautiful is you only know their first name, you know, nothing else about them. And all they do is they pick a topic and they open up the floor to allow people to either a listen or B to share their own experience, strength, and hope without, without the context of calling, like without being descriptive, you're not going to be like, so I was down on my knees, giving this guy, you know, like, you're not going to do that because you trigger somebody instead, you're all coming together for one common purpose. You are all here to support one another in an effort to feel better about yourself. That's it. And so there's some suggestions that they give around um, taking time off from dating or not having sex or porn. You get to decide what those boundaries or small promises are for you. But what they suggest, and I say they being it's not run by one organization. It's not a nonprofit. These are everyday people coming together saying, I want to get better. Let's all meet in this place at this time. And let's talk about our thoughts and feelings and experiences. You can donate a dollar or you can donate nothing. It does not matter. You just show up and it's really powerful. 
they often will talk about a higher power. It's not cult-like. What they're trying to get you to understand, and by they, I mean all the collective people who are sitting around you next to you who come in and out of the meeting at different times, are trying to help you tap into your inner self. The knowing of, so if I sleep with this guy, instead of going to the reward of this going to feel so fucking good, let me go to the day after. And your inner self will go, hey, love, you always kind of feel like shit when you don't know them, but you feel really good when you actually know them really well. So what if we took a couple of weeks to get to know him and then you can determine if you want to sleep with him? It It's talking about this connection to God, higher power and source. And sometimes there's a lot of people who are atheists or agnostics who are in the room who don't believe in God, but who believe in the power of being in a group. And it's really powerful because it's focused on the solution, even though you're talking about the problems, but it's not like a woe is me. It's sort of a, so I'm going through this and I'm, some are crying and some, but what's really cool is for the first time ever, you are heard without anybody interrupting you ever. It's a rule. You're, you're, you're allowed to talk for three minutes, give or take without anyone interrupting you or commenting on your share. So nobody's trying to make you feel better. No one's handing you a tissue. Like they're literally just there for to listen to you and hold space for you to get your feelings out. And then they walk, you know, you can find somebody who has experience, strength, and hope who's been in the program longer and has worked the steps. And there's a step-by-step process that you go through. And then from there, uh, they often recommend cultivating relationships, AKA friendships with people in group whom you're not attracted to. So so this Smart. runs an yeah. yeah, it's an interesting dynamic because as a gay man, so, so excuse me, as a heterosexual man, you, someone would have come in and had a male sponsor, right? Mm-hmm. And that's because they're not attracted to men. Well, when it's men to men, when you are attracted to men, you've got to be mindful about, okay, so I need to pick a sponsor, be it male, female, or non-gender conforming who I am not attracted to. And there's no way, shape or form I would be because you're going to tell them where the bodies are buried. I'm not kidding. Like you're t- when you feel comfortable and you've built enough trust with them, you're telling them exactly why you feel shame, exactly why um, you've slept with this person or what. And yeah. it's such a beautiful, safe space that I have had in my life now for 11 years. Um, I was actually on the phone with my, my sponsor last night, just crying, saying, I am just, I would be, I would not be alive if it was not for you. And she went, Oh babe. And I go, no, no. Like I would have killed myself because of this disease. Like I did not feel worthy. I did not want to live with the feelings of not feeling good enough. And you saved me because you, what she did and and Cody, this is, this is for everybody, but like what your sponsor's purpose is, is to teach you how to love yourself by loving you and showing up for you consistently and, and letting you know when they can't be there. It's, it's no placing, no judgment, shame, or criticism on you there. Those are my guidelines that I coach by, but that's because I learned it in 12 step recovery. The second thing you can do is you can go to a sex therapist. This is somebody who is trained in sex and love addiction. Um, they likely might have actually been suffering from the disease and healing the disease as well. So that's what you want to be super mindful of. If they are, if they are in active addiction, excuse me, if they have been addicted to sex and love, are they actively in recovery and are they actively working? That's crucial because it can get slippery because we all need sex kind of like we need food, right? <laughs> 
and we need connection. We need each other. So um, a sex therapist is somebody that you could probably meet with once a week and they can walk you through what's going underneath the shame and certain things. Now, what I often have found is sex therapists will also encourage you to go to SLAA because it's a really nice, beautiful balance to dive in deep one-on-one, but then, but then really get to the core issues of like, how did you grow up and kind of looping in the growing up with turmoil sort of context. And then the third option is coaching. So someone like myself who has had experience while I'm not a trained therapist, I've had experience not only being a sex and love addict, healing from it. And then one thing that I do that's a little bit different than therapy is I have a two-way walkie-talkie system with you. So in the moments when you feel like you're like, fuck it, I just want to have sex. Like I, I'm, that's it. I'm going to go back. I'm going to do what I want to do. You just are texting and being like, okay, so this is what's up. This is what's coming up for me. And we go through the journey of kind of similar to what I described with SLAA as well as therapy. It's a beautiful blend of both. And then I often have my clients go back through into SLAA as a beautiful support system as well. And so for me, I have all three resources at my disposal. I have, because I'm ready for that, not because I need it. So I would say if you're just like straight out the gate, I would say whatever feels most supportive to you, but I would, I would go with SLAA first and just try six meetings and see if it feels good. Good is not the right word. It feels constructive. If it feels like a safe place to talk about what I need to talk about. If it feels like a good place for you, if you feel at home. Yeah. Katie, I have like, (sighs) it feels, this all feels like very similar, obviously to like, an alcohol situation. And I think it's really hard for people to show up to AA or SLAA because they're not yet willing to put that label on themselves and they struggle with that identity. And so it's like, what is your advice to people who like, it's like the alcoholic that's like, well, I'm not rock bottom hasn't happened yet. I'm not like, I'm still functioning. I'm high functioning. I show up to work on time. I still show up for my people. I'm still responsible. It's like, how do you reckon with the people who aren't willing to accept that label oh my gosh Steph, you ask great questions so i would say that 50 percent of my so 50 percent of my clients come to me and i'm hearing it, it's kind of like the conversation we started with cody like i start to hear the story and i'm like wait a minute ding 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 ding, ding. we've got we've got family <laughs> dysfunction we've got shame we've got potentially using sex as a way to make ourselves feel better. But then Cody, if we were deeper into it with coaching right now, I go, so where else in your life are you using this? Cause it, it does show up with money. It does show up with alcohol. It's just everywhere. So what I as often say is, yeah, what I often say is ditch the addiction label. Like I don't call myself a sex and love addict. I say I'm recovering from sex and love addiction. So I often say to my clients when they're going to SLA meetings and they, by the way, do feel resistance because they don't want to put the label on themselves is who wants to admit that they have a problem. But I will say this, that if you, if you just ditch the label and say, you know what, I use sex compulsively to feel better about myself. It kind of feels a little bit better, I guess, mm-hmm. is the way to describe I it. I can admit that. And it yeah. also, the only, right? Yeah, It's absolutely. an easier way to mention it. Like, I, I use sex to feel better about myself. And same. here's the biggest part. <laughs> same. <laughs> In a committed relationship and loving. And <laughs> yes, <really> same. <laughs> is that the only question to ask yourself at that point 
is are you willing to do something differently? Meaning right. it doesn't mean you never have sex again, but are you willing to, to shine a flashlight on it? Not just for like a quick second, but like for, cause, cause Cody, here's the deal. This is the reality. This is something that you will actively work on for the rest of your life because yeah. it's been quietly underneath the table, actively working against you for your whole life before. So what it's kind of a beautiful thing if you think about it. Like as much as I saw your body just kind of like roll back and be like, oh man. But like if you think of it from a different way, how fucking supportive is that? Yeah. Like how great is that that for our whole lives we've been feeling not good enough. And while on the outside, like no matter what we wear or how funny we are or whatever we do, there are times we feel really do we do feel good enough and we feel lit up. But for me, what I found was like, how cool is it now that when life throws me grenades and sometimes they just, you know, I walk into a pothole and other days I just like trip on the sidewalk, regardless of whether I trip, I'm walking smoothly or I like fall down on all fours. I always know what my tools and resources are now that I have somebody on the other end of that phone that I know for sure is going to pick up and tell me that I'm going to be okay and that I am lovable and worthy. Now, they're not saying those words, but they're giving me the tools so that I can come back and say those things to myself. But I always know now that somebody's on the other end of the line. That's powerful. Pretty, I was just going to say the same exact thing. Pretty powerful. Well, Katie, I wish we had more time for you. I wish we had <laughs> more time. Okay. Now that you've listened to the like genius Katie, we should Good have her back God. on another time. We always I do a Valentine's Day episode. <laughs> let's do it. And I think too, what we can do is we've been like, I know today was like a serious-ish conversation. <laughs> and um, I'll leave you with this kind of like drinking too much you definitely got hung over the next day so cody be mindful that you might feel hung over tomorrow okay. and that you're most definitely gonna feel hung over two days later it's kind of like a workout like okay like if you did some squats we just did like 500 squats right now yeah. you're gonna be sore tomorrow but your ass <laughs> is gonna be real sore on Tuesday, right like so uh, what I would say is just know that while I do recognize we're on a podcast and like lots of people listen to it, which I'm okay with. Our, I love it. Right. You're in a super safe space to share this. And truly by you sharing your story, if you take nothing from this, Cody, that you just help somebody who listened to the podcast. Well, you, you just helped me. So much shame. You helped me. I can't tell you, Katie, how much I, after this conversation, I like seriously admire you. And I think that you are, of course, like just listening to your well-spoken and everything you say resonates. And I just admire the work that you've put in and the fact that you are doing it to help others. And I get to probably talk to you for the next five hours because I've shared the tip of the iceberg. And I think that you are just have a ton of knowledge and warmth about you. And I just really appreciate you being here. I do. Thank I can't, so I could, I could compliment you for the next Amazing. five hours too. I just, no, I we love you. you. I'm just scared. Our zoom's going to kick us off in one minute. <sighs> Katie, plug your Instagram, plug your podcast. Let's go. <laughs> okay. Instagram kg.katiegrimes. My podcast is anything for love. And if you guys are interested, you can hit me up and talk about my group program called let love in, which is all about letting more love into your life, not necessarily through validation from other people, but within ourselves. So Amazing. Thank you. Thank Katie. you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Love you guys. Thanks. Love you too. Bye. Bye. Bye.
you gave me a hug after that interview because I needed one. I did give you a hug. And I appreciated that. (laughs) She said, I'm going to be mentally sore the next two days. Do you feel like when we left that interview, you connected to that? Like where you're like, oof, like I can feel the emotion. Like, like you wouldn't believe I connected to almost everything that she was saying that she had gone through. And she seemed to understand exactly where I was coming from, which is why I want to talk to her more. And yeah, I have this, uh, this issue where I am so shallow with sex, admittedly, that I harbor a lot of shame around it. But, um, it's a cycle of the shame is strong, but I will continue to do it because it gives me such a strange sense of validation from others that I don't necessarily, it's not that I don't get it in other aspects of my life. I don't seek to get it in other aspects of my life. I choose sex to get that validation. And I have this thing, I've never even like talked about this before, but I have this thing that I'm kind of aware of where guys that are really good for me and guys that show interest in me and guys that are actually attracted to me, Cody Creighton, not just sexually, not just wanting my dick or ass are guys that I immediately put in the friend zone and don't want to do. And it's, and it's kind of a bummer because there's certain guys where they will like flirt with me and like be serious. Like, like, Hey, do you want to like go get like dinner sometime? Like, like full on ask me out. And I just like go, no, nah, come on. Like whatever you're being, you're being funny. And like, I don't go there with them because I don't want to have sex with guys that I actually value. Yeah. Like how scared are you? That's a harsh thing to say. Cause I have had sex with a handful of listeners actually. And I value them. <laughs> I know what you mean though. Yeah. Like, like, you are such the box person. We've talked about this. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah, yeah, yeah. you put everything into some specific ass box and like you don't allow them to mix. And yeah. so you, it also feels like you're terrified of getting your heart broken or something or, or like, what are you afraid of finding out that you're not perfect, that other people see you as not perfect or. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I have no idea. And that's why I want to talk to Katie more because yeah. I want to dissect it because I will have amazing sex with guys where it feels really healthy. It feels really good. I have a good time. Like on, like with the interview, I talked about this last fuck buddy of mine that I've been hooking up with has been a really healthy sexual relationship that we've had. And I've kind of spiraled into this weird depression since we've stopped hooking hooking up because I'm no longer getting the validation that he really brought me. And I think I told you while we were boogie boarding one day, if I never see, (laughs) I was like, I was like, if I never see him again, he healed something within me. And I, and I stand by that. He did heal something within my confidence because he's this guy that I would consider absolutely out of my league. And he made me feel more confident about my body and myself than a, I think any other guy I've ever been with has, and I've been with a lot of guys. And so I really appreciate him, but there's something about us not hooking up anymore that is affecting my mental state, which is, I think a good thing because I need to dissect that. And I think that I need to not have sex with him anymore for a while so that I don't rely on him to feed my confidence. Yeah. You need to find some way to like get that internally. One of our listeners Hi, one of our, how are you? One of our listeners, he and I hooked up a few times years and years ago. And I think every time we hooked up, I was drunk and stoned. And I do that a lot with casual flings. Back then, I would consider him a casual fling. I didn't know anything about him. He didn't know anything about me. We would have sex. I'd be wasted. And it was so much fun. But looking back, it was kind of sad. And, um, just kind of freaky and sad and not how I want to really do it these days. Yeah. 
and it kind of bums me out just because it's a sad place to get to. I ran into him in LA and we kind of began a friendship there because it took us out of the bedroom and I was actually sober and I appreciate him. And he's one of those where every time he's in town, um, you know, he lets me know he's in town in case I want to meet up and stuff, which he's one of those where I have put him in such a box that he's seen me in a way that I don't like of myself. He saw, I saw it like a shadow part of myself that, that I am ashamed of. So I can't bring myself to like hang out with him. Isn't that a part of life though, in a way, like a lot of the people closest to you, which isn't the case for you because you're good about the boxes, right? But like most people have seen the closest people to them have seen them at their worst, their best, whatever, and love them unconditionally. Like there is an aspect of that that's freeing at the same time, like the unconditional aspect of people will still show up and still want to be a part of your life. He clearly still wants to be a part of your life. He listens to the podcast and reaches out like there's something to be said about accepting the fact and like having someone in your life that has seen you at your worst. Like you're I know. like, I consider him a great friend actually, because we have both seen parts of each other that was not the prettiest. I mean, he saw me wasted having sex with him. He passed out in my apartment. Like we were just kind of, yeah, it wasn't very healthy hookups. He and I did not have the healthiest of hookups. You know? And I think that's okay. And I think you can have those experiences and understand that it was a different part of your life without carrying so much shame around it. But right now you have a lot of shame with it. And if I can like open up about my own struggles in another aspect, when we talked with Katie, I kind of compared the um, sex anonymous stuff to AA and I have an extremely challenging relationship with alcohol. And it's something that I have shame around and guilt around. And it's kind of like, it's the same thing where you count your hookups maybe in a week or in a month. I count like every single drink I have and I count them by day and I shame myself and I talk negatively to myself about it. And I say that that's why like, and I also obviously have a lot of unconscious like things that I haven't worked through about like not being worthy. And like, I have a ton of insecurity uh, around that. But like when I drink for some reason, we talked a little bit about this on the podcast before, like I'm so, so, so negative to myself and the self-talk is so hateful because there's some, there's something going on with it. And I know why, like I have a huge past with alcohol. Um, it's greatly affected like my younger years, like formidable years growing up. And you know, when I was like in high school, not like a little kid, but, um, I'm currently on a journey of like figuring that out and sussing it out and not drinking and figuring it out. And I'm reading this book called this naked mind, um, by Annie Grace. And I would say that it's definitely like taking me on a new path. Anyone who has any struggle with alcohol or substance at all, I think it's great even for sex addiction. Like you can apply this to any, really any kind of like negative thinking pattern you have in your life. It talks about like the unconscious mind and like why we're all like conditioned to believe that alcohol is a stress reliever and fun. And like only some people get really badly addicted to it. And I don't know, it's just kind of like changing my whole perspective. And when she was talking about the 12 step program, I've actually been to a 12 step program. I've been to Al-Anon, which is, it's not AA, it's for AA for people who have had alcoholics in their life. And it is a 12 step program. And it's I went to these meetings scared and anxious and not wanting to be there because I didn't think that I should be there, if that makes sense. And that's what I was talking about with 
with Katie, that question where I'm like, well, the labels, I think, is where we have a really hard time with accepting these things and asking for help. And a 12-step program has so many negative, like, you know, like then you're this person, you know, and I struggle heavily with alcohol. Do I consider myself an alcoholic? No. But at the same time, it's something that I want to have control over and feel confident about and not have this weird shame cycle. So it's like this new journey that I'm on. And Al-Anon was like an amazing start. I did it before the pandemic. And it is, this. there's like the, anim, what, how do you say that word? Anonymity. Anonymity. <laughs> yeah. That like are in all these 12 step programs that keep people safe. And there should be, there should be, oh, yeah, I'm so fucking pissed. I already don't like this person necessarily, but they posted on their Instagram about their experience and name dropped someone who was in AA without their consent. And I'm like, what do you not understand the whole fucking point? That really ticked me off. Yeah, it is. It's not cool at all that, that people do that. I am flipping through the, the snake mind control alcohol, the book by Annie Grace that you had mentioned, and it looks extremely digestible. It doesn't look stuffy or it difficult is. to read. It is really easy to but, read. And it's so weird. I just happened to flip to the page. I drink to have better sex. That's so trippy. So, I mean, yeah, like. Because I got to. I am scared because. No, that's not true. I was going to say, I don't know the last time I had sex sober, but that's not true at all. This, I, but I prefer, I prefer to have a cocktail in me. I prefer to smoke a joint. I prefer to be a little bit inebriated to have sex because I could get out of my, this last guy made me feel so good. And he had sub, he has substance abuse issues in his family. So he, it made him uncomfortable. And I kind of knew that before we ever hooked up. So I had sober sex with him every time we hooked up. And that was awesome. And that was yeah, healing too. A big deal. It was healing. I had to answer up. So he was healing to me in a lot of ways. And I'll always be super thankful to it. It's not like he's dead or anything, but you know what I mean? He, he came in the right time in my life for me personally. And we had a great time healing each other. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. I don't know. I think there's also something to be said about us, like working through some of these problems or being really open and honest about it on the podcast because a accountability when you care about someone and you tell them that you're struggling, like people will, will do accountable or hope to, or like, you just know that we put it on this permanent ass, like thing that we're going to have out forever. But it also gives other people, uh, like it allows other people to admit or connect or like, you know, that they have outlets or people to connect with. And, I don't know. I I just think that I'm, I don't know. I'm just glad you're my co-host. <laughs> I'm glad you're my co-host too. And I'm glad that we could be honest with each other and honest with you guys. I don't think that, sorry to say the word drinking game. Every time we say vulnerable and talk, talk, take, oh, drinking game. That was insensitive. Take a immunity I, shot. God. Take a drink at orange oh, juice. Have a shoot of wheatgrass. Um, no, but I don't know if we could be vulnerable if you and I weren't so comfortable with each other and made each other feel so comfortable. I am the fucking listeners are just amazing. Every time I feel like we shared too much, it's like, they, they're just like they love even it. happier. Okay. I'm going to switch gears if that's okay. Yeah, I'm good. I had this stupid, uh, let's talk about substances. I had this stupid high epiphany that, um, so, cause obviously you and I are not religious at all, uh-huh. but we love to like manifest or whatever. And oh, I'm yeah. like, we're spiritual. Praying what? 
is manifestation. Mm-hmm. Praying, sure. it's the exact same thing. It's meditating. It's the exact same thing. Absolutely. Which I just think is cute and funny. And like, I just had to say it on the podcast. Well, I think I'd mentioned maybe a couple episodes ago that while we weren't raised ultra religious, we were raised to believe in God and we would yeah. do a quick prayer before dinner. We would do a quick prayer before bed. And the prayer that I did before bed growing up that was like the prompt that my mom used to give us was, thank you God for such a good day and thank you for And then we would list what we were grateful for that day. That is manifesting. That is gratitude. That is Prayer is gratitude and manifestation, absolutely. I was so cheesy growing up that at Thanksgiving, and I still do this to this day to anyone I'm sitting at at a table with on Thanksgiving, is I literally will make everyone go around the room I and say what that. they're thankful for, and I would just, like, cry. I was, like, fi- I was like 10, <sighs> just, like, crying, because everyone's, like, things were so sweet and touching, and I would cry when I would say mine. And, like, I, I still to this day, like, it tears me up, and I think it's important because... It's cool to hear what other people are thankful for, too, yeah. sometimes, because you're like, it's just so sweet. I totally agree. I was like, whenever um, we go out, like when we went to Catalina or went to Disneyland or something, the kids always say, what was your favorite part? I just love to hear what all their favorite parts were. You know what I mean? Like, yes. I don't know. I think it's so sweet. Mountains and it. mountains and pit valleys. What do we call it? So the Kardashians think, say. Yeah, I think Peaks and pits. Peaks and pits. What was your peak and what was your pit? Um, Cincinnati. Yeah, go for it, girl. Um, my peak was definitely the wedding. It was just stunningly gorgeous, and my pit was the flight scenario. I think sure. that's. I think that's incredibly understandable. Oh, you know what my pit was? That I was too scared to travel with gummies across the United States. Oh. And so I didn't have any weed in Cincinnati, but everywhere you go in Cincinnati, all you can smell is weed smoke, and I didn't have any um accessible. <laughs> That, that was that frustrating? It was really tough. Is it not legal there? Oh, no. And Can I say, ask something really dumb and I'm not being funny? Yeah. What state is that in? Ohio. Okay. Um, that was in like New Hampshire. So here's the deal, kids. I do enjoy getting stoned. That's a fact. But I also have sleep paralysis. Oh, you? <laughs> I have sleep paralysis and night terrors and paranoid sleeping. And I had an, a, an event in Cincinnati where I woke up four times in a night, like, screaming, Sorry. and Aesop was, like, comatose, which good for him. He slept through the night, but I was, like, freaking out and did not sleep at all. I'm like, sorry. I, I'll you fall asleep. No, because the thing about being in this like sleep paranoia state is, like, you're awake and you're not, and yeah. so it's just, like, nothing really makes you're sense. Like, no. You don't have, like, you don't have skills or tools to, like, help yourself right you're in that kind of twilight you wake up in a complete and frantic state and you lay back down once you realize you're safe and you're like okay i'm gonna go to sleep yeah once you realize you're safe and it was all made up and then it happens another time and another time and another time (laughs) no it's okay but i then i was like that's why i i was really i felt kind of stupid for being so stressed out about not having weed with me like i kind of threw like a little fit before we left and was like i don't know what i'm gonna do and is that a dependency or is that just a necessity at this point? Well, it's definitely both. I'm okay admitting that I am addicted to the positive effects that breed brings into my life and that I do need to sleep. You know what Katie said, rather, rather it's addiction such a hard word, but she... I yeah, it's a compulsive like need to sleep <laughs> and feel good. <laughs> That's really brave of you to need to sleep. Thank you. <laughs> so yeah, that was a that was a pit. For sure. Why do you want to talk about time zones? Oh, time zones are weird. I want you. I'm so down for you to take the floor on this kind of recording part because I feel like I was 100% in that sex conversation. What? 
Like I feel like I did all the talking with Katie, so I, I just wanted to. I just want to dive engaged. into your notes. I feel like the listeners only got Cody in that interview. Oh, I was fully engaged. Plus, we we're going to record a whole hour of us talking. Oh, this is hurting my head. Dude. Time zones are weird. Is all I have to say. It's like I, it trips me out. I don't think I ever got on a Cincinnati sleeping schedule. We would stay up to like one. And then we wouldn't get out of bed to like 11, but that really like in California time all adds up perfectly. Yeah. But I, it was weird. It was a hard time. Do you have any plans on Halloween? Not yet. And I kind of am keeping things like loose. I, after being, after traveling for five whole days and like being out and going to bars and go, I couldn't imagine planning one thing right now. I'd love to find something to do. And yeah. I know that there's things going on, like the Midnight Mischief Party up in the mountains. I'm not going to go do it, though. And no. I, 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 it sounds like a fucking blast, but I know myself, and I know I reach a certain limit, and I need to be in my bed. Wait, shouldn't we just have a kick-it for the people who, like, don't want know what to do with themselves, but don't really want to do a big thing? I'd love that. Once the kids get their costumes on, and, I, and, I, and you're done. I'm uncle mode until yeah. the sun sets. And then once that sun sets, I am. What's that horror movies? Evil Dead Marathon. You Let's guys. watch the Evil Dead Marathon. You got it. Are you down? Yes. Okay. But also, we are going to have to pick a different movie series because I have done Evil Dead One and Two, and we might be watching the remake. We no, we might be watching. What is it called? It's called The Army of Darkness. Is the third one? Oh my gosh! You guys, Evil Dead Two. They have a show, Ash and the Evil Dead. I will not be doing that. Bruce Campbell's so old. I will not be doing that. I think it's so sad that Bruce Campbell said yes to that. That is so sad. Secure the coin, son. Okay, so Evil Dead 2 is not a sequel. What is it? It is not a sequel. It's like an anthology. No. Evil Dead 1 is this terrible movie that they made. Love. And everyone was like, wait, actually, this is amazing. Like, we love this. So, you know what they did on Evil Dead 2? What? They redid it better. It's not a two-part show. It's the same exact movie redone with a better plot. Oh. I'm not joking I've you. I've never seen it. Okay. So Evil Dead 2 is not a continuation. It's literally it's like it, it's, it never happened. It's like Evil Dead 1 never happened. And it's just as awful That's and hilarious. That's about the Halloween franchise. There are about 87 Halloween movies. It's the now. That's what I call music. Of the <laughs> Fast and Furious and the Halloween movies. Yes, just they like, get it. Come, come on. But the thing that's so funny about these like horror movies is that Michael Myers has probably been killed at the end of every single Halloween <laughs> movie. And yet he just keeps coming back. It's not like Scream. There's a They are doing Scream 5 coming up next yeah. year. The beauty of Scream is that is that there's someone else underneath the costume in every movie, so they yeah. could they could they they nailed that they could keep it going. With Halloween, it's Michael Myers, it's one guy, and it just cracks me up because this guy has gone to outer space in like the '80s. There's like Michael versus Freddy, like it just cracks me up. Kyle Richards from Real Housewives, she's on the she's in the new one. Oh wow! She played the little girl in the original original oh, original one, cute. so they brought her back. And she's not a good actress. No, obviously. I not. saw the clip of her. She's like, "What are you doing down here? Run!" <laughs> with her like raspy voice. Okay, I came up with a. I feel like I had a Cody moment again. Who did you fuck in an alleyway, Stephanie? Oh, Come wouldn't on. Wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> um, I came up with a movie. Oh, oh! Pitch it. Elevator pitch. Elevator pitch. Okay, so it's a time travel movie. 
scientists Whoa, have... you sound really good all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Cody, I told you we were going to address this at the end of that. You, like, don't listen to me. I don't listen to you. So we just realized that we've been recording through the laptop speakers this entire time instead of our microphones, which so is very unfortunate. We might, we might sound a little strange. So now we sound really good, or as normal as we sound. Sorry if we sounded strange. It's fine. They're going to be okay. So... Anyways, I have this movie idea. Pitch it. Elevator it's, pitch. Yeah. Okay. So it's a time travel movie. Scientists have figured out time travel. It's like a fact. Everyone's like, yes, we're traveling through time. Here's the thing, though, is that it's very controlled and like time has been fixed. So oh. it's like the the scientists have found a way so that like I can't go in back in time and like undo anything. Right. Oh. So just like the... The novice time traveler can just go back and see how things unfold. You're kind of invisible to other people. They yeah. can't see you really. And so you can go and enjoy yourself and stuff and have fun. It's like a tourism. Yes, it's very tourism. Here's the thing, though. There's like this whole branch of court system in this, the world that can take cases on what should be undone or done differently. Whoa. And so there's like... That gets tricky quick. Yes, that gets tricky quick. So obviously there's like evil forces and good forces and people who want to like go back and undo shit that like we're so super fucked up. But then there's this whole like morality aspect of like, well, we had to have gone through some fucked up shit. Otherwise this couldn't have happened. Like, well, also we need to like learn from those mistakes. Like history is important, you know? And so it's like this whole thing of people trying to figure out how to unfix things and like the court hears these cases. Like it's like the Supreme Court of the world that is like... that would be an intense movie who's starring in maybe it? a series i don't think about stuff like that who's oh you don't no but you can cast I it. immediately know george clooney has something to do with it <laughs> well you him know? and his wife right because isn't she She's like a brilliant genius well, they, that's what's great about pitching shows and tv on this podcast is that if someone steals our idea we can we have a timestamp baby and we could <laughs> yeah. we could get that going We're I, have, get can, I have a horror movie pitch for you yes i'm ready i think i've told you but i want to tell the listeners it's a reboot of the Frankenstein story. Oh, yes. This is a really good idea. It is. It's a reboot of the Frankenstein story starring Henry Golding from Crazy Rich Asians as Dr. Victor Frankenstein. And it's set in modern era. He's extremely rich, very chic, like how a, how a really fantastical surgeon would be these days. He is winning an award for a reanimation and understanding how to bring, um, we'll say, a frog back to life. He wins this award and on the way home, from the award, he gets into a tragic accident and his wife dies in the accident, the love of his life. He, because they believe in science and medicine, she is an organ donor. And over the next couple of years, he starts to fall into madness from his broken heart and his knowledge that he can reanimate her if he really wanted to. And he becomes a little mad, a mad scientist vibes, and he goes after all of the people that got her organs donated to them and so it's almost slasher serial killer style vibes but in a very calm cool and collected surgeon way and he he kidnaps them which is horrific but it's not like he slashes them he takes them back you know and he does the surgery on them but they they end up dying and it's this whole thing of trying to build his wife together again the horror of being on this list to get these organs and have them be seemingly going to be taken away from you. Oh, I have so many questions. I just think it'd be a fun take on the Frankenstein story because who's afraid of the Frankenstein monster? I don't want to have a Frankenstein's monster going around a village with like pitchforks and stuff after. (laughs) I don't even want him to end up reanimating his wife by the end of it. I want it to be about loss and accepting loss because 
you can't bring things back. It will never be the same. And I think that's what Frankenstein's always been about. I just think this would be a very scary and interesting take on it. Yeah, I say you do it up, like, all the way. Go full thriller. At the end, he's just hunched over this, like, Frankenstein beast that will never be his wife. And he's just tragically depressed. And he and he has to come to terms with it, you know? Well, he probably has to go to jail. Oh, he's going to prison. Absolutely. <laughs> Cody, what's Swedish death cleaning? Well... Friend of the show and friend of us, Blair Brainy, told me about Swedish death cleaning where I can't remember what it is. I think. What the heck? I think. I think. Blair, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's where people clean their house in anticipation that they're going to die at any given moment. So you don't leave anything that would be a burden for your family or embarrassing for your family to find. Right. And it, couldn't we say that we should consistently be doing that? Like, well, how that's embarrassing. what they do. Like in Sweden, <laughs> that's what they do is they go, well, if I die, I don't so, want. The, these boogers wiped underneath my desk. So it's not like spring cleaning, but you're like, if I die on this trip, like, and my family comes to my house, like, it's going to look good for them. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Don't leave boogers wiped under your desk, people. I do like that. Cody, you've been watching something on YouTube that I need to know about. Oh, it is called, the YouTube channel is called Soft White Underbelly. And I think, I'm not sure where the title comes from. That but name I, is sickening. It is. And I think that it comes, I could only assume it means like the vulnerable side of society like the soft white underbelly is the most vulnerable part on an animal like that they don't really like to give up to people unless they love them or things you know so i think that's what it's about it's like the vulnerable kind of um side of society and he basically interviews this is what it seems like i've only been watching for about a week but he's very open-minded he's not judgmental he's also not doing anything to help them what is what it seems it's just kind of getting their stories and he'll interview people from Skid Row and like, um, they're called tricks, pimps, prostitutes, you know, tricks are the people that are not pimps and they're not prostitutes, but they purchase sex. They buy sex. Those are tricks. They got tricked into, you know what I mean? Uh. So, and then on the flip side, that's like one part of the nation. On the other side of the nation, he interviews people from like the Appalachian mountains, like the drug addicted very similar where that's it's a drug epidemic on both spectrums of it but the cultures are so vastly different that it's just fascinating to compare the two and a lot of the appalachian people are inbred and you know they're very aware but there's this family and it's actually like the sweetest family they're an incredibly inbred family meaning that they have a lot of deformities and mental blocks and things that come with the territory of inbreeding and they just couldn't be kinder they're absolutely filthy they are living in squalor but they don't seem to mind and one of the guys his name is ray he is about as inbred as you get and he doesn't even it's interesting Like, what are the connections cousins brothers sisters i think i think from one of the things is that ray's parents were cousins okay but then they you know they were probably born from cousins cousins cousins. and they were born from siblings and they were born from like it just it goes down the line and then eventually when you get to someone like ray it's an amalgam of all the past history of your family and breeding that becomes a little that's where you know things get a little freaky deaky it's where like oh diversity is important (laughs) well these people that live in the appalachian mountains nobody lives around them but their family it's all just their cousins yeah and i guess they can't move no, and it was really heartbreaking because one of the guys, that, a lot of them don't know how to communicate correctly. It's interesting in this family. It's two women, two men, and um, there's one woman, and she's the only one that knows how to communicate kind of um, lucidly. I don't even know how to say what I'm saying. She has the best communication skills. 
The others seem to really understand what the interviewer is asking them. And you could see they understand. They just don't know how to communicate what they're feeling. Ray barks like a dog. He doesn't speak a drip of English, but he understands English. And he literally barks like a dog. And it's so interesting because the dogs seem to understand him. He seems to understand the dogs. They probably do. He's in it's his 60s tone. and he's been barking his whole life. He'll do like two barks for yes. I kind of noticed they never touch on this. It's not like there's a key or a legend that tells you how Ray speaks. But he'll be like, Ray, like, um, you know, is this your bedroom in here? And he'll be like, bark, bark. like he'll literally just like bark. It's just so interesting, and and what's heartbreaking is that they tried to connect with more people in the community, and they were just kind of cast away. They went to church, and people made fun of them, so they're afraid to go back to church. Like, the people at the church were humiliating them. And I watched another of, like, a teen... I watched another of a teenage girl that was in the Appalachian Mountains, and she's like, she's like, everybody does drugs. It's a huge problem. She, She was... You know, the education over there is also not fantastic, so she's not very wordy in a way that would come across as educated, but you could tell she's extremely intelligent. And she's like, I don't touch drugs. I see what it does. Everybody in my family does drugs. All my friends do drugs. I've never tried it. And as soon as I can, I'm out of here. And the interviewer is like, good for you. Stay Stay on that path. You watch the people from Skid Row, drug addicted, forgotten about, cast aside, and it's just heartbreaking, and you hear about these stories of these tricks and pimps and prostitutes and, and alcoholics and stuff. It's just crazy. Yeah. It's just, it's really sad. It's 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 really, it's a fascinating thing to watch. So it's called Soft White Underbelly, and it is shocking, and it is triggering if, if you have a heavy substance abuse previous issue, current issue, or people in your family that have it. It could be triggering. Also, sexual abuse. There's a lot of um, sexual abuse that is mentioned upon if you if you have a tough white underbelly then i think you can digest it but it is one of the more fascinating youtube channels that i've watched that's brutal i had like the realization and remembering when we were in cincinnati that anytime i go to a big city it just i think big cities like what they do great is they show every they show the full scale of humanity if that makes sense the rich of the rich and the poorest of the poor and it's all in your face all the time and you cannot look away or ignore it and living in a town like Ohio, living in like ventura county in general like ventura sure there's like homelessness and stuff but yeah. living in a town like Ohio, like i think you get a little shut in and a little like out of touch with reality thousand percent and so every time i like go if we go back to la or long beach or if like if it, if i drive from here to long beach like through like downtown long beach and stuff like i do actually get like a bit of anxiety and like a bit of anxiety like almost agoraphobic you know like where it's yeah. like and in cincinnati you know we walked everywhere and cincinnati's an up-and-coming city and they've put in so much work in the last 20 years to make it safer and cleaner but then you mix in the pandemic and there's so much struggle mixed with so much money and the resources and like i don't know it was just it's very eye-opening and i don't know and there's a lot of mental health issues and Mm -hmm. there's one there's a woman who's addicted to crystal meth and she's clearly the meth was just not helping her what seems like (laughs) pre-existing mental i don't think meth is really helping no it's not and you know how i feel about meth i think it's terrible and but just one of the things that kind of um, there's things where you just have to kind of like chuckle at because you're like, God, that is 
that's uh, like she he goes so you live in a tent around the corner like he's so sweet and she goes oh yeah yeah yeah. i live in that tent i am i actually am that tent like she just is on her she's on her own level yeah there was another guy that that he was interviewing and and just one of the things that stood out to me that made me kind of chuckle he goes he goes well, my younger sister, who's a year older than me, <laughs> just like, things like that just make me. But sometimes people do have younger sisters that are a year older than them. Like for a period what? of time in my life, I felt like I had a younger sister who was three years older than me. Like it'd be like that. The time travel movie hasn't come to fruition yet, and I don't understand what you're saying. <laughs> like sometimes you're the younger work. sibling, but you have to be like the older sibling. I've always been the baby. Yeah. And you've never had to step up and be the older one? No, Kaylee has her shit together, so you're good. Kaylee has her shit together, for sure. Yeah. Not to say that's mean. Like, that's like, I'm not trying to be mean to my no, situation. No, but we've all, we've all been in places where we have to step up and we have to yeah. be the one in charge. Absolutely. And I've had to be babied. Like, sometimes you need to be babied. Absolutely. That's the truth. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Katie Grimes is amazing on this podcast. I really do want to have her back on. If anyone has questions or anything i think in a few months or maybe around valentine's day we have her back on to Dude, talk relationships i'd like to have stuff. her on every week i think i might just hire her i mean I, I need to get to the bottom of this because i'm i'm i've been aware for a while that i'm having issues and i think that she feels like a really safe and comfortable and, and extremely well-versed person and intelligent i also have to say i think figuring this underlying problem in your life is going to open you up in such a way that it's going to open you up to new opportunities in work, love, life, everything. Yeah. Like when you start healing yourself, like everything becomes possible almost. So it's, I'm realizing that sex takes precedence on a lot of things in my life. And it's kind of the, the top, the tip of the pyramid that I smoke a lot. I drink a lot. I do this a lot. I do that a lot because of sex and I neglect this and neglect that because of sex and, Sometimes I'm not always good at texting because I'm just hooking up with someone and, and I'm not, I don't show up for my family. So it's a problem and I can, I can totally admit that it's a problem without trying to sound dramatic about it, but it's a problem that I have. You also need to get out of the shame cycle that you're just yeah, like spiraling absolutely. around right now. Absolutely. So anywho, we love y'all. Like, share, post, comment, review. <laughs> what are the things? And I think, I think we might be having that other Ahoy Quarterly podcast coming out like next week or something. But we'll let you know. Leave a review. You guys haven't had a review for all of October. I want like one review a month. Give us, who wants to give us our Halloween review? Somebody out there. Please, if you have like, if you want to give us a fun Halloween review, go for it. All five stars, obviously. Well, duh. Whoever gave us that one star, who do you think it was? Someone being funny. Someone being funny. Someone who was choking on their cauliflower tacos. Some hillbilly. I don't know. Oh, God. Maybe it was Ray. He didn't understand. He doesn't get Maybe it. Maybe it was Ray. He was like, like one. One. Yeah. Thanks, no. Ray. Thanks, Ray. Thanks, Ray. We appreciate you. All right. Sorry that we sounded strange oh in the first gosh. part of this. You I know, am sorry. We give them A1 quality all the time. We've met, I messed up. But you know up. what? We are a little strange, aren't we? Yeah. Also, it's my mistake, so I'm acting like it's nonchalant. <laughs> I'm, I'm already... Yeah. All right. I'm trying to act cool about it. <laughs> we'll see you guys. We'll, we'll talk to you guys next we'll week. We'll chit-chat next week. Bye. Ooh. Don't go in the basement. Don't go in the attic. Don't do it. Yeah. You're going to die in there. Mm -hmm.